Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. What's up, folks? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I am Justin. And while you're listening to the show, check out our website at paratruthradio.com, where you can learn more about us and what we do. Also, feel free to look into our Patreon account at paratruthradio.com and help us to continue bringing the world fresh, entertaining media each and every week. By contributing, you'll become an executive producer of an upcoming episode of Paratruth Radio and officially become a part of the Paratruth family, which will include special monthly behind-the-scenes access to our production. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Guys, this is something you really should take advantage of. Uh, You know, There's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. I know we said this in the past, but there's a lot going on. You get to see what Justin does on a daily basis for the show. You get to see what I do in the background. Uh, it's just really fun. You know, I think it gives you guys a little bit more entertainment and an understanding of what goes into these radio productions. I think it also will give you a little laugh factor because you could probably even get some of our cuts from our, <laughs> from our episodes and be like, yeah. wow, you guys really screwed that up. Yeah, it, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. In other news, folks, I wanted to bring it up to you now. Next week, we are going to introduce a brand new logo for the radio show, as well as a brand new intro, uh, both music uh, and also video intro. If you happen to watch on YouTube, so look forward to that. I, we think it's really cool. We we've had had some people check it out, both the intros and uh, the logo itself. Got some good positive feedback. So we're hoping you guys will like it. Just know that regardless of what it looks like or what you think about it, it's still the same show. Uh, we just wanted to make things a little different. Uh, and I think this is going to help, you know, just, just build the community a little more. Yeah. And, you know, it's always a lot of different companies will – change their logo over time and we're just trying to get a little more comfortable with not just our logo but who we are as people (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think this logo uh and intro will better represent what our show really is compared to what we have right now uh one thing i wanted to do is give a quick shout out to trevor schultz he wrote us an email saying love your show came across it on Tune in. Would love to hear a show about time travel and out of place artifacts. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Trevor from, from Scunthorpe, 
in the UK. So Trevor, thank you so much. Uh, we will get to a episode on time travel and out of place artifacts because that as actually something Eric and I have talked about behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing something like that for you. Now today we have on Linda Godfrey. She's an author, investigator, and artist. She has written 17 books on a number of supernatural creatures, phenomena, and people. She's a frequent guest on national TV and radio shows, including our own. Now Paratruth presents Monsters Among Us with special guest Linda Godfrey. All right, folks, as I said, Linda Godfrey is here and we are going to be discussing her latest book, Monsters Among Us. Linda, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. Great to have you back. Yep. Uh, you know, the last time we had you on with us, we were discussing a book that you had written called American Monsters, A History of Monster Lore, Legends, and Sightings in America. Mm-hmm. My first question regarding Monsters Among Us is what makes it different from American Monsters? Um, well, it's quite different. Um, the book American okay. Monster. Pardon? Uh, I said okay. Oh, okay. The book American <laughs> Monsters I wrote to show what I had discovered to be um, the great height and depth and breadth and width of categories of American Monsters. I mean, there are just so many, mm-hmm. you know. And so what I attempted to do was kind of categorize them a little bit, um, throw in many of the contemporary accounts that I've had. And just show what a great wide variety there are of these things. And, and yet how there always seems to be this sort of common thread of mystery and obfuscation of facts and things like that, that when you really get into trying to track them down, carries through from category to category. So, so that was, you know, almost more of an encyclopedic volume. And yet with, uh, the, the accounts and, and, uh, stories, and the monsters among us is a whole different thing. Um, you know, I home in on just a few different types. I'm not trying to show every type of monster there is in the world. What I'm trying to do is show that there seems to be that connection that I just mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. So many of the uh, creature reports that come in, not always, but enough times that um, you know, eventually after 25 years of research, it made me really stop and think about it and think, well, there has to be something that is making so many people report the same things like um, bright weird lights, UFO type um, aerial flying things, mm-hmm. um, odd things about the creatures, some perceived mental telepathy. Um, there's sometimes sort of a supernatural thing where people will see them that look like, they look like wolves, but they look like two-dimensional shadows of wolves. Or um, they will have episodes where there are habituations of creatures coming up to their house, pounding on the doors and the windows, that kind of thing. So I wanted to um, go through each of these, some really spectacular accounts that had come to me just in the past couple of years and see if I could just um, relate them in this way, if I could make um, a list. All the major ones in that book have um, kind of a little table at the end where I went, and if the um, if I had enough information on the date and the year and that sort of thing, I looked up the moon phases, I looked up 
Um, the the solar flare news, whatever happened to match that, whether there are UFOs around at the time. And I was surprised there seemed to be more than I expected, really. Hmm. Well, well, one thing that I, one of the chapters actually that I loved in this book was the one called Roadies. And at the very beginning, you bring up Bray Road, which Eric and I love the Bray Road beast. So one thing I wanted to ask you is, Throughout your research, what what are your thoughts on why these particular beasts are attracted to cars or being passers-by of cars, that sort of thing? Um, my own thought is that when they're seen along roads, they're usually preoccupied with um, either eating something that's by the road or chasing something. Um, that seems to be the main reason that they're at those locations. Okay. And... I think that brings them into natural contact with people. And they also seem very aggressively territorial about, um, you know, their, their special roadkill spots or their hunting territories or whatever. And so I don't know whether, you know, they're, they're just trying to be aggressive with people who come by as in trying to scare them away so they can get back to dinner or, um, if it, some people have suggested that it actually is sort of a setup by them to um, create fear in the people that see them, and that perhaps they might be sort of a um, oh, some people will call it a psychic vampire. I think there mm-hmm. are different, less uh, loaded ways to describe it, but perhaps that they're able to observe and somehow hijack a little bit of human energy that feeds whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And, and those two different answers would fall along the lines of the two different camps that some believe they're just flesh and blood and some believe that they are um, at least partly um, not necessarily supernatural but um, have behaviors unexplainable to present science is the mm-hmm. way I prefer to say. <clears throat> so some say accident, some say by not by coincidence. <clears throat> right. right. Now that we're talking about the werewolf, now the werewolf is my it's my favorite subject. Uh, Justin's as well. We talk about it all the time. But something that recently came up in a discussion on our Facebook page is the origin and characteristics of dogmen compared to werewolves. So my question is: Is there actually a difference between the two, and in what ways are they different? Well, that's a good question. Um, werewolves, to my mind, are more strictly um, what people think of when they um, or what people would associate with Hollywood movie type of creatures, mm-hmm. you know, with the, all the myth and legend and baggage that goes with them, the silver bullets, the full moon, um, you know, all, all of that stuff, much of which came out of Hollywood. And mm-hmm. the medieval European, you know, here in the West we have our, our many of our traditions come out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you had all through the Middle Ages and medieval times, you had um, people that unanimously believed there were such a thing as werewolves, that their neighbors and friends could be werewolves. Um, they had tests for telling whether your neighbors and friends were werewolves. And, um, you know, that's where the old unibrow test came in the hairy palm. So so those, those things... Um, have, I've never really believed that there is an actual creature based on those items, you know, mm-hmm. that, 
to me, that just hasn't made sense. I think that there are um, probably more than one type of uh, thing that appears to be an upright canine, and I've said that from the very beginning, um, because there do seem to be, um, when you get the the older civilizations that are shamanic or have um, tribal beliefs, that there's always some way for them to change into creatures, into animals, shape-shifting, that kind of thing. And that leads you down a whole different way. Now, there are shape-shifters in the medieval and, and Hollywood werewolves, too. I mean, you that's what they portray in the film, the, right. the um, creatures in agony, and then all of the um, arms and the legs start twisting, and, and there's you know, hair sprouting. and I mean, you can picture Jack Nicholson or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Michael B. Fox or any of those guys, you know. Right. He's very familiar with that. And um, I just don't think that's what most people have been seeing all these years, you know. And, I mean, I've been collecting these encounters for 25 years now, and I still get them, usually one or two a week, which, if you do the math, is a lot. And so there are a lot of people are having these experiences, but... Most of them are, I'd say 90% of them are the type where they see it, there's some sort of exchange of uh, fear or aggression, whatever, and then the creature, whatever it is, melts off into the background, dives into the cornfield, dumps back into the ditch, you know, whatever it can do to get away. You know, and that's just very different when you go back and look at the tales of all the um, European werewolves, they were quite different. Um, they had certain specific traditions, such as you had to wear the wolf-like belt, the wolf pelt belt, mm-hmm. and you had to, um, you, you could, well, most of the time they were, they were eating people. That was the biggest one. They were ravaging the countryside and eating tons of farm, farm animals and eating lots of human beings. I think the Beast of Javanan, had a body count of like a hundred some people. Wow, right. so, and the thing is, I don't see that in the contemporary accounts. They're, they're very, very different. Um, the only human attack that I've had reported to me in all these years where there was any sort of real injury was a man walking in Quebec on a trail unarmed and he came face to face with a six or seven foot tall upright wolf-like creature and they looked at each other for a minute, and then it actually lunged toward him. And he says, in retrospect, he feels it was trying to lunge past. But you know how when you meet someone in a grocery store aisle, and neither one of you knows which way to go? Right. That's yeah. kind of kind of how this was. You know, he dodged a little to the wrong way, and this thing was um, streaming past him and just kind of caught um, the man's side and made kind of a long, jagged tear in his flank and his hip, and he had to go to the hospital and get stitches. And he told them that this was um, a bear because he didn't think they would believe what it really was. And yeah. other than that, now there have been other reporters, other investigators who say they've had things reported to them that um, somebody saw a human get killed or whatever. I've had people report seeing their dogs get torn apart, um, standing out in the patio with the owner's cat in its mouth, that kind of thing, but not mm-hmm. as far as humans go. Hmm. So that to me is is a big difference. So I don't know if I'm exactly answering your question. You could ask about the origin of how each of these started. And right. um, I think that um, 
you know, the, the origin of any sort of shapeshifter, you have to trace back to, um, the, the more shaman-like, um, nature-based religion type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then this modern day one, um, you know, who knows where that came from? Because this is showing itself to everyday contemporary people who think they're, um, out of their minds very often because in this country we're not supposed to see those things. And, this day and age, and they're confronted with some sort of animal or creature that they can't explain according to anything they've been taught in school or known, and that's the main reason I think that it freaks people out. But it's not a horror show, you know, like the old, um, you know, if you read the old accounts of, of the um, medieval werewolves, it's not only gruesome in the way that they attack and eat people, but then they end up getting... Um, I think Peter Stumpfer Stubbe in Germany was um, tied to a wheel and torn into little tiny pieces and mm-hmm. other ones would get, you know, hanged in terrible ways or they'd be tortured until they confessed, which happened most of the time. So I think they've got really different o- origins. And if there is um, a different supernatural origin to the ones that are seen in Canada and the U.S. and even in South America, well, then... I think maybe perhaps we have to look at cultural differences between um, the, the the Americans, the Americas, and then the older old world European type of uh, cultures and beliefs. Right. Okay. So one thing I've been thinking about since uh, we had wanted to have you on, and since we got the book, is you know a lot of people before recently thought these creatures were more physical now we're using the blanket term interdimensional where do you think the shift is there do you think that these creatures really are interdimensional and we're actually just starting to realize it or that there is a difference between certain creatures that they some are interdimensional some some are not well you know honestly the best way to um, relate to that in my view is actually the view that i've heard from um contemporary Native American people that I've interviewed, and I've tried to interview um, elders and uh, um, people who have some knowledge of anthropology sometimes. But what I've gotten, and by the way, um, all Native Americans do not share the same monolithic beliefs. They will vary from tribe to tribe. But the one that I've seen and heard most often and that makes the most sense is that they will say to me, well, this creature and the Bigfoot are both, originally from what they call the spirit world, what we might call a world in another dimension or, um, and, you know, just some sort of more scientific term. And they said these things are very old. They've been around since before humans. The difference between us and them is they know how to go back and forth from the spirit world to our world, and they can when they want to, and they need to. When they're here, they're fully flesh and blood, or they can be. Uh, fully flesh and blood. They leave footprints. They leave all kinds of spore and that kind of thing. They obviously need to eat animals because they're so frequently seen chasing, carrying deer, um, you know, hunting for different different sorts of things to eat. So, and and they often also both seem to be able to reproduce because many people have witnessed what they call juvenile Bigfoot, and I've had people report what could only have been, um, you know, little upright dogman pups or, or wolfman wolfman pups and you know and i i don't place too high of a value on the difference between the terms wolfman and dogman because 
um, it seems to me there probably is some hybridization going on between the two groups. When you look at all the uh, descriptions, and occasionally somebody will mention um, uh, an upright canine that had a shorter muzzle. Most of the time they'll say a very long muzzle and the um, pointed ears on top of the head. But sometimes people will say a shorter muzzle. They range in all the colors that you would see in either a wolf pack or a natural dogs from the um, the gray, black, brown, um, you know, there's a great variety. So mm-hmm. um, I, I actually do think there's a better chance that there's some sort of wolf-dog hybrid than pure wolf or pure dog-stock. Okay. Cool. Now, <clears throat> I was reading through uh, the Phantom Wolf of Wolf's Egg, I believe. Is that the correct pronunciation, Wolf's Egg? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So one thing that stood out to me in the story is the creature's eyes. Now, when we hear stories about dark spirits, demons, phantoms, uh, etc., one of the characteristics that seem to consistently match each eyewitness account is seeing these red glowing eyes. Now, do you think that this is something that people are actually witnessing, or could it more so be a persuasion of the mind from other accounts? Um, Well, it occurs so frequently. Now, I will tell you that in the great majority of reports I've received for 25 years of these types that are glimpsed by the roadside or um, while walking through the forest and they look at you and then run away, mm-hmm. it normally is the normal canine color of eyesight, which is yellow, gold, greenish, um, probably, again, 90%. But the ones that seem to have that more supernatural tinge to them, where somebody sees a creature disappearing from them or... Um, it appears in their house or it's doing things that you wouldn't expect a natural animal to do, then you're more likely to have those red glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it is a, a more, a, a rare sort of effect. And the, the truth is, if you read about, um, you know, the, the little membrane that animals have that they can re- use to reflect, um, light at night and therefore see better, um, it can show up red in just about any animal, sort of like the right. similar to the way, you know, we show up with red eyes sometimes in the old print photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's this reflectiveness in there. The Bigfoots almost always show up as red or orangish red. And they just, it's called the, the tapetum lucidum, which um, it, that's the name of the little membrane. The interesting thing with Bigfoots is that um, if they are um, a great ape, they're not supposed to have one of those, and yet they do. And um, I have a, a chapter about the Chicago Bigfoot, which is kind of an amazing story, where I kind of go on at some length to develop a theory about that, which is just my own speculation. Um, but generally, the dogman will have the yellow, golden, greenish eyes, this wolf's egg one, with, when I see the red eyes, it's something that makes me feel you're looking at something that is not just a normal flesh and blood animal that has learned somehow or evolved to be able to walk and run on its hind legs. Um, that to me with the wolf is always, almost always um, a signal that there's something different about it. Right. So we're not thinking a reflection of the eyes, but some sort of internal glow. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and people do report that too, where they'll say it looked like an LED light or mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the lid end of the cigarette. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And again, that is really not a normal, I mean, you know, flesh and blood animals are not supposed to produce flashlight, Mm. like light from their eyes. And um, again, you go back to, say, the UK, and they have a huge tradition of the phantom black dogs that have those glowing eyes. And again, that would lead me back to more of the uh, other world type of explanation. Right. Okay. So one thing that I saw in the book uh, was green mists and sentient atmospheres. Since we've been kind of on the dog land for a little bit, um, what did you come across that um, – is there any link between, like, the mists and the, the sentient atmospheres to these particular cryptids that you had done research on or any particular entities like ghosts or uh, aliens, extraterrestrials, that sort of a thing? Well, they – they seem to appear in the same sort of areas, um, you know, where you have a high concentration of other creature type things. Okay. And um, in this book, one thing also that kind of ties this book, Monsters Among Us, together is that um, I'm telling the story of the past few years where I've been assisting a property owner um, here in southeastern Wisconsin who had just crazy, he's had just crazy stuff going on. It's almost like a mini Skinwalker ranch. Um, and one of the first things he noticed, he, he was getting weird um, mutilations of the animals that he'd find, and he put, took a 60-pound roadkill deer and put it in a certain spot and trained a couple of trail cams on it, and um, you could see the deer was plainly there, and it was a nice clear day, it was daylight, and all of a sudden, this very sort of uh, just translucent but very discernible um concrete shape of mist lowered itself over this animal. It was there for half an hour. I think he got like 90 different shots of it. And when this was um, all said and done, after about half an hour, the next shot was completely clear again. The mist was gone. And by the way, while it was there, I mean, you could still see all the clear edges of the leaves and the trees and everything else was there. Suddenly the mist is gone. And the creature's gone, too. Now, what could have gotten in there and taken the 60-pound deer without showing itself on the trail cams, which are obviously operating because everything in the picture is, is uh, you know, coming out nice and clear, except this mm-hmm. one specific column-like um, bit of mist. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, um, he was able to look and see there were footprints leading away from this, and the footprints were bipedal canine, very large prints. They were sunk in deep as if it was carrying something. They went over a barbed wire fence, and he and a friend were able to track it across an entire field until it crossed a road with uh, supposedly carrying away this trophy deer of its uh, capture, and um, that's where they lost track of it. But this was repeated over and over again, and during the years I've been working with him, I think he's done like 17 different deer carcasses until the DNR um, just recently changed the uh, deer transport, carcass transport rules, and he's had to uh, cut back on that. But um, that it, that's the connection. It seems that there's this almost predatory aspect to these mist-like columns and, and uh, also colored mists that move over people and um, cause missing time. They incite what would be 
um, considered sort of inappropriate emotions for the situation. Um, they're all involved in these same areas where the Bigfoot, the Dogman, and um, UFOs and other haunting type of things show up. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like they're a part of this big package of hmm. weird stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is really weird that that, that happens because we actually had a few guests on who are paranormal investigators. They, they don't investigate extraterrestrial life or anything like that. But they noticed that when they would take pictures at haunted so-called haunted houses outdoors, there's often a UFO that they happen to catch in photos or with their own eyes. And they started linking the possibility that ghosts or spiritual hauntings are somehow linked uh, with the extraterrestrial life and that, and maybe they're one in the same, maybe there's, you know, as you said, there's some kind of melting pot for supernatural beings or whatnot, but it's really intriguing and interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And, uh, that Chicago Bigfoot story that I mentioned earlier, um, the witness did not see a UFO, but because he had a, a fairly close timeline, I was able to go and search out the uh, online uh, data that we have on UFOs, and sure enough, I found a really great sighting that happened either on that day or very close to it within about a mile that he knew nothing mm-hmm. about. And it was a double witness sighting where they saw kind of a nuts and bolts style of um, UFO craft gliding along above some power lines. And and by the way, all of these things are often seen near power lines or electrical stations, that kind of thing. Again, almost as if they're feeding on them. Um, with the animals, sometimes people think they're just taking tracks, taking advantage of the, the tracks for easier running. Um, you know, so we don't really know why, but there's a definite association with the power lines. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> this is probably, we have time for one more question here. Uh, in the book, you discuss hellmouths and other gates to the underworld. Now, based on many myths, uh, the portals are usually stationary, a doorway to another dimension or even physical place, uh, which is held at a specific destination, such as a cave by the seashore or something like that, as an example. But there's also an understanding that a person can open portals anywhere at any time, either through emotional stress, summoning rituals, or magic spells. Mm-hmm. My question is, is there a difference between a portal or a spiritual door that a person opens and that of the hell mouths? Well, um, just off the top of my head, what comes to mind is that the hell mouths, the things that are like a cave that's been there forever and people know it as an entrance to the underworld mm-hmm. or whatever, um, that would probably be more aligned with um, geological features. Maybe it's an area of quartz rock or granite or something like that, which are supposed to... And by the way, we did find a granite rock at one spot where something seemed to have descended into that field where I was working. Oh, wow. so, so, But there are other types of land formations, too, um, ancient mounds, where, um, where they're stable. They seem to be somehow attached to geological, geographical features. Where they're opening from people, that seems to be more of um, a connection between the human consciousness and some other power, some other um, place, we don't, you know, some some other spirit. We don't even know what that would be. But the human mind, the human brain, is considered these days by scientists to be um, something like a quantum computer. 
And, in fact, there are very sophisticated experiments going on using human brain cells and trying to, uh, you know, the, the wildest things that we used to read in science fiction are right now being worked on by our top scientists who are also expanding on the equations um, that they've been working on regarding physics, you know, since Einstein and before that. And they're finding that the equations that hold true, that try and explain our world and our universe through physics, uh, work really well. And in addition, they're predicting that there are and must be other worlds or dimensions, whatever you want to call them. And um, there's evidence that these things do come and touch once in a while. So um, I don't know if people who summon these things are able to um, just sense where the where the the next adjacent uh, other world is, and then make that opening or make that connection um, through their consciousness. I, I I don't know. It's all after a while, it all becomes conjecture. But you can look at the things that science is doing, and just compare that with our um, our very ancient practices that mm-hmm. people have. Um, and, and some people are even picking um, out the um, long traditions of bringing certain, um, there's, there's a word for it that's not coming to my mind, but mind-altering substances. Mm-hmm. Ayahuasca, you know, down in, in uh, South America, for instance, is believed to be an, an, a literal door to another world for those who are able to use it. So. Um, I think you've got two different sorts of things going on there. There's the human brain-based and then the geological, geographical-based. All right. All right, Linda. Before we let you go, I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find you, find the book, and any other information you want to give out. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, um, the best place is just to go to lindagodfrey.com. That's my blog. You can find recent um, things that I have. Um, posted there, stories that are not in my books, um, all kinds of stuff, totally free. I don't do commercial advertising there whatsoever. Um, there's also a blog, a bio page and uh, a list of my books. Um, I have um, a list of recent podcasts that needs to be podcasts, excuse me, it needs to be updated badly. Um, so that's something people are interested in. Um, whatever you want, you can follow me on Twitter. If you sign up there, it'll give you um, my Twitter feed. So there's all sorts of stuff there. I'm going to be in Osseo, Wisconsin um, on March 24th. We're doing a, a presentation by good friend Chad Lewis, um, the back back row of Laura Crew guys, which are good friends of mine, um, Aaron Houdini, who is... Um, uh, kind of a descendant of uh, Harry Houdini is going to be there. And it's a big fundraiser for um, Michael Fox's uh, Parkinson's Foundation. So mm-hmm. that's going to be fun. That's in Osseo. And um, you can – I'll have a notice up if I don't have it up already there um, very soon. And, again, that's coming up March 24th. I'm going to be at the Burr Oak Bigfoot um, Conference in Ohio the weekend of September 30th. Um, in August, I have to look at the exact weekend, I'm going to be at the Michigan Paracon up in Sault Ste. Marie. And you can watch my blog for other places. I've got a few other possibilities in the work. So um, 
if you want to come and meet me, get a signed book. You know, I love meeting people who are interested in this topic. So that's one of my favorite things to do. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's always a pleasure having you on, Linda. And your books are just really fun to read. So we're definitely looking forward to the next one. Uh, and we'll definitely have you on again. But, uh, yeah, we're going to let you go. So I hope you have a great night. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Yep, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Linda Godfrey on her book, Monsters Among Us. Really a great woman, you know, to talk to. Very easygoing. And honestly, guys, like if you haven't checked out any of her books, they're all really entertaining. Mm. Uh, you know, th- there's many uh, paranormal books out there that are just, in, it's just information, you know, like loads and loads and loads of information with no real, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No real, no real pizzazz, no. you know, and <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of a better word, but you know, the way Linda writes is it, it just really helps bring some of the stories to life. It's easy to read, you know, and there's not rarely some super long term, you know, I'm not good with terms, uh, and spelling. So it's always nice, but, uh, check out her book, Monsters Among Us. Um, with this book, it yeah. almost seems like she was writing in a fictional format, but not really in mm-hmm. a fictional format. So I think that's why they are so entertaining. So, mm-hmm. all right, folks, we are going to go to Eric's Random Fact today, but stay tuned because we got more here for you, even though we let Linda go. But here comes Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. How many of you know the name Tom DeLong? Well, do you remember Blink-182? He was one of the band members, often singing front stage. However, did you know that since his Blink-182 days, he's been highly involved in UFO research? In fact, so much so that according to Billboard.com, Tom recently received the OpenMinds.tv 2017 UFO Researcher of the Year Award at the 2017 International UFO Congress. Though he wasn't present to receive his award, he did leave a video message, reminding people that he is not much different from any other UFO researcher, and that his job has only just begun on the subject matter. He also mentioned that he has some pretty big stuff planned for the future. So I guess one can say he's looking beyond all the small things. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And just before the break, we just got done talking to Linda Godfrey about her book, Monsters Among Us, and always a great person to have on the show. Uh, I think 
Linda is one of our favorite guests only because, I mean, like you guys know, we love our cryptids. So I think it was awesome to talk to her. And I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, she is known as kind of like the, the guru for the dogmen. So that's kind of what we concentrated on a little bit. But it, uh, I think it's cool that uh, she's got a bunch of different creatures in this book. Well, so <clears throat> yeah, and you're right. She did, she does concentrate on the um uh, the wolf man or werewolves and whatnot. But it, you know, both this book, uh Monsters Among Us and um American Monsters have both been really I think for us at least influential in, in regards to how we produce mm-hmm. the show because we do I mean, yeah, we do enjoy the werewolf discussions and all that, but we do just like cryptids in general. And she really focuses a lot on the cryptids uh, and, and really raises some interesting information that we didn't know ourselves uh, prior to reading some of these books. So, and it's always great. I think it's important um, for anyone to focus on a number of different cryptids because you start to see how these cryptids interrelate with each other. Um, believe it or not, there are similarities between the were- werewolf and Bigfoot, for example, uh, whether it's, um, whether it's physical, you know, similarities or otherwise, you just start to notice uh, more things when you research, you know, the group as opposed to one single entity. Right. <clears throat> well, one thing that, and maybe we should have had her on more to talk about it, but a lot of people are saying now that the dogman sightings, and this is just something that, it's hard to wrap my mind around because I'm not a huge fan of the Bigfoot, but uh, mm-hmm. that the dogmen are actually feral Bigfoot, and you know mm-hmm. the the snout is elongating and all that because they are becoming feral. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little far fetched for me. I mean, we're, we're we're now we're talking about two different things here because we're talking about. Bigfoot, which is more or less some type of ape man, mm. uh, which is consistently reported. And then this dog man. I mean, those are two different animals that are characteristically very different. Um, so to think, I mean, of course you get into whole evolution and all that, possibly, if you believe in evolution. Right. Um, but that's, that's different. Like, that's changing species altogether. That's Darwinism, you know, where you change from one species to the next, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're talking about here. If we're, trans, you know, transforming from a a, a Bigfoot or an ape man gradually to this dog-like creature, I mean, and on top of that, it's happening, if this is the case and if it's true, it's happening very quickly. And according to Darwinism, it would have taken millions of years, if not longer, for this to happen, you know? So... I think it's a little far-fetched for that particular explanation to be true, but, you know, it is a paranormal world, so <laughs> all possibilities are possibilities. Right. <laughs> well, and it it is one that kind of makes you think, but it's like, yeah, I, I don't understand how, if even if it's a Bigfoot that is feral, how how is it that their snouts are elongating just because they're feral? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, well, it's similar to, like, if I'm not mistaken, uh, pigs, you know, when they're domesticated, they, cute little pigs, most of them, they're not all that cute, but <laughs> some people will think they're adorable. But when you release them, they turn into wild boars and they grow tusks. Oh, uh, yeah. depending on, depending on the type of pig. Um, so I guess there is this possibility. But oh, yeah. Just, it doesn't make sense, you know, it's, 
we're talking about like what's what's the difference? What what is the need for an elongated snout? Mm-hmm. Right. In that right. case, you know, there's as far as I'm concerned, there's no real need for it. Um, well, and that's what I'm kind of saying okay. is yeah, you, you don't like you had said there there are two totally different what we could guess call species, but why would like what would be the need for it to be elongated snout? I'm I, I'm kind of at a loss because I honestly don't know. Like, right. and why why are people thinking this? Other than the fact that they think some of these Bigfoot are feral, where a ape by itself can be feral and not grow an elongated snout, <laughs> where and a wolf can have an elongated snout, but it doesn't get smaller. Except for with like inbreeding and stuff like that, right? So it, well, just weird, weird coincidences, and I honestly don't believe that particular theory, but it's one that's out there, right? Right. So, so uh, since we're in the second part of the show, what are your thoughts on this? Like, they go through it, or I shouldn't say they. She goes through several different cryptids in this. Um, do you think, like I asked her, that a lot of these creatures are interdimensional? Do you think that it's kind of a blanket term that we're using now because we can't find them anywhere? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it is a blanket term. You know, I think when people start to have difficulty locating these particular creatures, they have to have a reason behind it. Instead of saying, oh, we're bad at locating them, you say, oh, they're interdimensional. We can't see them because they're not here. <laughs> um, exactly. So... Yeah, you know, I think there is a possibility. Of course, I'm always open and would like to believe to an extent that some of these creatures are actual real physical creatures. You know, I think right. it would be kind of cool, especially when you, when you're considering, um, you know, a lot of people are like, why, why would you want a werewolf to be real? So, well, as Lyndon mentioned, the werewolves in America lore aren't really that dangerous, technically. I mean, they kill other animals, never heard of it killing another person. We go out into the Eastern world and they're slaughtering everybody. Mm. So, you know, it, it's weird that there is this difference. I think what makes them uh, more so a myth than reality is the fact that there haven't been these changes between the two. Because it just wouldn't make sense that a, a werewolf would travel over on a ship and suddenly decide it's going to become more domesticated and cool and not start killing people because it's not its thing anymore. They're in the new world, the free land. They do what they want to do, you know, and relax. Yeah. So – you know, I think it's interesting, but yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we, you and I have always, not always, but started thinking that maybe they are interdimensional, you know, maybe. Speculating. There's not a, yeah, speculating. There's not enough out there to really prove their existence. We don't have the evidence. A couple of crappy pictures and crappy video and audio, most of which are fake. So, you know, we don't have anything right now to prove their existence. Well, which would denote maybe interdimensional because uh, we had talked to John Mallard a couple weeks ago, and we had talked about, you know, w- what is going on when these entities come through? Are they coming through some type of wormhole or something? And, mm-hmm. you know, when you get those crappy pictures, are they transitioning so that you can't see them? So they're going back into the interdimension that they came, for, came from, which is, in my opinion, a, a possibility, but... It kind of goes into the line of can an interdimensional creature become physical in our reality? And I right. mean, in Linda's 
opinion, she's saying yes. Um, but when you think of interdimensional creatures, for example, ghosts or demons and angels can technically be kind of an interdimensional being if you think about it that way. But a lot of people believe that they are not physical or they can't be physical. So, and I'm, I'm kind of on the fence in, in that regard to angels, demons, ghosts, but in a cryptid case, you have prints, you have, like she said, excrement, you have hair samples, and most of these things are coming back as undetermined species. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how a thing that comes from another dimension can become physical in our reality, or is it going through like a wormhole? It, it is physical in another dimension, but it comes through a wormhole, and now it's physical in our dimension. What do, what right. do you think yeah. of that? Are we talking more about like the multiverse, you know, which is a subject that's actually been common over the last several episodes that we've <laughs> had yeah. is the multiverse. Uh, not necessarily um, multiverse, but um, when you think interdimensional, you almost think different planes of existence too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And there, there's a lot of, I mean, there's scientific explanation as to why it exists interdim, you know, Interdimensional travel, for example, mm. and there is explanations as to why it doesn't exist. Um, and unfortunately, the fact is we don't have the facts. We don't have enough evidence to support one conclusion oh, right. or the other. Right. Um, there, so there is think, no evidence, like we said before, for any right. of this stuff. So <clears throat> I think there is a possibility that the creatures we're seeing, any and all, are indeed interdimensional. Um, you know, obviously – the Bible tells us that angels interact with us on a daily basis and that demons interact with us on a daily basis. So unless they are light as a feather naturally and invisible, they must be on another plane of existence that are they're still capable of interacting with us, right. but remain in their right. own dimension, if you will. Um, and of course, there have been times like, for example, mm-hmm. When I was uh, being demonically attacked, I saw the demon on occasion, you know, the giant black mass, distorted, uh, not at the corner, not your typical shadow person. You don't, this isn't something you don't, that you see uh, through the corner of your eye with infrared. It's something that I look directly at, like I'm looking at you right now, Justin. Um, and so then you have to ask, well, does that mean that the demon came onto our plane of existence or did it just make itself known, like invisibility to physicality? Mm. Um so, again, though, we don't know because even still, I can't touch that demon. Right. It just looked like smoke to me. That's what it looked like. And you can't really feel smoke. So. Well, and one particular instance that I remember, it wasn't a cryptid. It was some entity from my childhood where I was staying at my dad's house and I thought he was in the doorway because I was sleeping in the living room with the TV on. Thought he'd come out to say, hey, turn the TV off. Why are you watching TV when you're sleeping? But um, uh, I went over to, like, grasp him, hug him, something, and there was nothing there. But I right. saw something. Right. So it, it's, yeah, it's weird. You can't explain it. Scientifically, we can't explain most of the stuff, like I just said. But, um, I'm I, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards interdimensional only because we haven't found bodies, that sort of a thing. If we could capture something and say, here it is, let, you know, science finally can say that it's something, then I would say, then yes, obviously it's a physical creature, but yeah, 
Unfortunately, we are getting into that blanket term of interdimensional because we can't explain it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there must be another explanation why we haven't found them if they are physical creatures. Right. So one thing that I wanted to get into is I had put out a question to you guys. What's your favorite cryptid? And this was on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. And some of the answers are rather interesting. But uh, on Twitter, I had made it a poll, and I said, you know, Bigfoot, Nessie, Chupacabra, other. And it was a split between Nessie and Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys are going to get some shout-outs here. Paul Bailey says, man bear pig? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. I, th- I thought I forgot about that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm not sure that man bear pig is real, but... It's worth looking into. <laughs> um, our good friend Jerry had brought up the dog men, uh, and that's where we kind of got the question from uh, for Linda with werewolves compared to dog men. Um, another one that was brought up was Mountain Giant, and that was by Chad Riley from Deception Detection Radio. And he actually brings up that um there's a, a podcast that does Sa- called Sasquatch Chronicles and they talk about Sasquatch and they talk about this these mountain giants and it is really interesting to think that maybe the mountain giants are somehow interconnected with Sasquatch hmm. um let's see what else did we get here uh Loop Guru do you know what Loop Guru is I have no clue what that is. <laughs> I didn't think you would, but uh, it's actually a French myth or legend. Um, it is kind of like a werewolf, but instead of the human werewolf look, you turn into an actual wolf. Okay. And it's, um, yeah, it's it was very similar to Native American lore in a sense. Right. Yeah. And that, I don't know if the French brought it here and that's how the, the Native Americans started integrating it into their own beliefs or if two separate cultures had the same legend. I'm not sure. But according to the Loop Guru is it originated in France. But yeah, like, is it the skinwalkers that people believe turn into different animals, not necessarily a human-like animal? Or yeah. are the skinwalkers more of a human-like I mean, entity? Yeah, skinwalker turns into, turns into creatures, animals. Actual animals, okay. And he, yeah, so, yeah, like the skinwalker, so the skinwalker is basically a person with the ability to turn into any animal that they desire, no oh. matter what, so. Okay. Kind of like a, a vampire can supposedly turn into a bat. And that sort of a thing. Right. But in this case, you want to be a goldfish, you could be a goldfish. (laughs) Which I'm not sure why, but but it'd be your luck to get eaten by a cat. (laughs) So uh, another one that was brought up by Jim Malliard is the duck man. The (laughs) duck. Jim. Yeah. You know he's got to play off the duck. You, you got to give him that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Alfred uh, Santariga in Paranormal Heart also said 
Bigfoot. So thank you guys for answering that, uh, that little survey. Out of all the ones that I brought up, um, what are your thoughts on your favorite out of that little bit of group? So in other words, I got to keep the werewolf at bay today. Well, <laughs> I know that it is your particular favorite. Everybody knows it. Favorite. Yeah. All so right. Loop Guru, the Duck Man, Bigfoot, Dogman, um, Nessie, or Mountain Giant. Or what, what, let me rephrase that. What one would make a good topic for an episode, do you think? Um, okay, well that changes the answer completely. <laughs> well then give because me both already, answers. We've already, we've already had this discussion on a couple of these. <laughs> Bigfoot's out of the question, Nessie's out of the question, the dog man is technically out of the question, <laughs> therefore we're stuck with duck man, uh, what mountain, was the giants. Bear, mountain giants, mountain giants, bear, bear, man bear pig, man, uh, yeah. and this Lou thing. Um, oh gosh, I mean I think the funnest would be the man bear pig. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to go ahead and jump to our second and last break of the evening. You're listening to Paratruth Radio. We will be right back after Justin's Paranormal Headlines. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. What's going on, paratruthers? Justin here with your paranormal headlines, and these headlines are from unexplainedmysteries.com. Why do pandas have black and white fur? Scientists have come up with a new theory to explain the panda's distinctive monochrome coloration. Mammals aren't particularly well known for their exotic fur coloration, mainly due to the fact that drab, earthly tones often help them to stay concealed either from predators or from prey. Bears are a prime example with most species exhibiting coloration to help them blend into their surroundings. Polar bears are white, for instance, while grizzly bears have shaggy brown fur. Pandas, however, are a different story altogether. Native to the remote mountainous regions of central China, these unusual creatures exhibit a distinct black and white fur coat, which, in their dense forest home, might at first glance seem like an unusual choice for camouflage. Understanding why the giant panda has such striking coloration has been a long-standing problem in biology that has been difficult to tackle because virtually no other mammal has this appearance, making analogies difficult, said biologist Tim Carroll. To get to the bottom of this mystery, scientists at the University of California and California State University decided to divide up the panda's coloration into two independent areas, and then compare them to similar areas of coloration found in 195 other species of mammals and bears. Their findings suggested that the panda's black and white coat might actually serve two purposes. Unlike other bears, pandas cannot hibernate, so their fur coat must help conceal them all year round, including when it snows in the winter. Their black eyes and ears, in addition to serving as a warning to would-be predators, may also help individual pandas identify one another with each animal possessing a slightly different pattern. The breakthrough in the study was treating each part of the body as an independent area, said Caro. It is always possible that a patch of fur has evolved for a different purpose than in other carnivores. Rare whales caught on film for the first time. 
Three elusive trues-beaked whales have been captured on camera during an expedition to the Azores. This remarkably rare species, which has only ever been sighted seven times, is thought to dive for hours at a time and can descend to depths of three kilometers or more beneath the North Atlantic. For the team of educators who have been out on an expedition with a group of school children when this latest sighting occurred, seeing the whales surface must have been a remarkable experience. Suddenly, this group of whales appeared from nowhere and start to surround the boat, said biologist Natasha Aguilar de Soto. These are whales that very few people in the world have ever seen. The animals stayed near the surface for around 10 minutes, providing the researchers with an opportunity to deploy an inflatable boat and record footage of them using a GoPro camera. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. Welcome back. You are listening to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to ask you to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to go creepy. Uh, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's not hard for you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, folks, we, just before break, we were talking about uh, some of the cryptids that many of you consider your favorite. Uh, and Justin asked me what I thought would be a good topic. Well, of course I said man, bear, pig, just because, come on. Yeah. So, but anyway, <laughs> what are, uh, before we head up to the end of the show here, cause it's getting late, but Justin, what, what about you? What do you think would be a, a desirable topic? It would be interesting to look into loop guru because there yeah. is a connection to werewolf and right. that's one of our, most favorites. So I think that would be a good one to, to cover. Um, what is my favorite out of ones that people brought up? I would say my personal favorite other than werewolves has always been Nessie. It's always been a fascination yeah. of mine. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, also I think Nessie is the greatest probability of all of them because, uh, Nessie is a water creature. Uh, so Loch Ness is attached to the ocean, supposedly. Um, and so I think that's generally the most likely possibility because Nessie is considered like a plesiosaur type of creature, a mm-hmm. dinosaur. And the oceans are so vast and so deep that it'd be impossible to find, to find him or her. I'm not sure. It. Do it, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that is definitely one of the most interesting. And it was honestly, other than Bigfoot, Nessie was probably uh, the first cryptid I'd ever really learned about, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I started getting into the paranormal. So, uh, and of course, Needless to say, a legend. I mean, come on. Yeah. A real legend. Not just like folklore legend, but like the legend of yeah. monsters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, folks, we're at the end of the show. Uh, hope you had, hope, really hope you enjoyed the show as we did. We always do. Um, again, next week, just a quick reminder, we are going to be premiering a brand new logo. And if you're, well, if you're listening to the show, a brand new intro uh, music. And if you're watching on YouTube, a intro video. 
you know, with little animation. So check that all out. Uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Justin, what's going on next week? Next week, we've got robot zombies, transhumanism, and the robot revolution with Estrella Aguina. I apologize, Estrella, if that's not how you pronounce your last name. But um, it's going to be an interesting one because I honestly feel we're heading into an era where this book can actually cover uh, th- this particular topic because I, I feel we're in there. So um, I wanted to let you guys know, too, real quick. Make sure you check out FringeRadioNetwork.com as well as RadioOnPodcast.com, which we are a part of both now, as well as our own entity. And make sure you like, share, subscribe on any place that you listen or watch, and also give us an iTunes review so that way we know how well we're doing. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, until next week, we'll find you all right here, same time, same place. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network. Or for a one-time fix of all of your Paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day. Finally, we love bringing you fresh, entertaining media each and every week, but we can't do it without you. So please check out our Patreon account. Simply go to ParatroopRadio.com, click on the Patreon logo, and help us to continue bringing you the latest and greatest in paranormal research. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.